for you having to sit there all day talking about the pandemic with client after client after client, mm-hmm. it's probably like Lou Bega who says, I don't want to play Mambo number five anymore. <laughs> but you no, got to go with the hits, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, we are at it again, Coping on the Couch with Courtney and Brian, episode 84. Courtney Kelly is a mental health therapist. I, Brian Mulhern, am a longtime therapy patient. And this week, we are going to cover something that I would say more or less got me on my journey into therapy, which is trying to teach yourself to not get all worked up about things that you can't control. And the two examples that I can give you from the jump for me was I I really went into therapy because I was upset over a relationship, a romantic relationship, which no longer existed. Mm. And I wanted this girl to be in love with me in the worst way, but that was something I certainly couldn't control and wasted an awful lot of time and energy on. And then, of course, there was this, missing people who are no longer here. And there is nothing that I can do to bring them back. And yet, you just sit there and you wring your hands and you think and think and think about about these things when you could be working on more important things like, oh, I don't know, yourself, which is exactly what therapy is designed to do. Courtney, where are you going to take us from here? <laughs> well, this is so true. And I do work with people a lot. I work with myself on this a lot yeah. of times, too, because sometimes as therapists, we have to stay out of that whole mode of trying to fix people. We provide the space and we give feedback, but we try to help people to figure out their own journey and what they need to do. But sometimes as someone who gets into the helping professions, we want to help so much that sometimes we think we can control the situation. Like, oh my gosh, you need to do this or that. So I know I struggle with that in my profession and also in my life. Sometimes it's hard to know where those lines are. Well, let me ask you that question. In your dating life, were you somebody who was attracted to the wounded animal? Mm -hmm. Were you somebody who said, well, I like this person, but I don't like this, but I think I can change it. Oh, that thing that we get stuck into. And I do, I talk to my clients about this as well, that for some of us, it's a self-esteem thing. Like we think, okay, we're going to be the one that comes in and we're going to help fix that person and we're going to put up with all their baloney. But at the end of it, the person's going to turn to us and say, oh my gosh, I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much for standing by my side this whole time. And we're going to feel so good about that. And that's our fantasy. And that's what keeps us stuck in that. Meanwhile, I could never get into that mode because as soon as I did, the woman would turn around to me and say, hey, look at yourself. (laughs) You think I need fixing? Good God. So that's how it works for you. Yeah, that's my journey. <laughs> you're like, oh, you know, but yeah. So I think all of us, if we're very honest with ourselves, we have all been stuck in a time, a certain place in our life where we thought we were going to be able to control something that was out of our control, and we were banging our head against the wall. And sometimes you hear yourself saying, "If only this person would just do this, then my life would go well," or "If only the situation would change itself, then everything would be okay." When you find yourself saying that about things that you can't control, you're setting yourself up for a lot of depression and anxiety because what you're saying is this is out of my control but I'm going to feel terrible until I can control it. And let me also say this. There's a reason why this is an old adage. Be careful what you wish for because Mm -hmm. a lot of times I would get what I thought I wanted Mm -hmm. and when I got there it wasn't what I expected which would start a separate downward spiral. (laughs) Right, exactly. Because the reality is, Courtney, it's not about something making you better, Mm -hmm. something externally. It's about you internally making 
making yourself better. Exactly. And I'm not a religious person, but I always go back to the serenity prayer. Serenity now! (laughs) Serenity now! God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's Mm -hmm. really the crux of it is I sit there with people and they'll say, yeah, but my boyfriend, if only he would just fill in the blank. And I say, listen, you can be encouraging, you can be supportive, you can be an influence, but you cannot change someone else. Think about how hard it is to change the only person who you do have control over and how hard that is on a daily basis of trying to change your own actions. Exactly. Magnify that. How can you possibly think that you have all this control to change someone else? Plus, try to be a parent for 10 minutes. (laughs) See how well that goes, controlling another person. Ah! Holy Lord. Well, I think where this is especially relevant now, Courtney, is how many people wish they could control what's going on with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who I think, the people who are rabid deniers, in some ways, I think subconsciously, they think it is giving them control. There is no such thing as COVID. You're not going to tell me to wear a mask. The vaccinations, they don't work. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. All these things that we're telling ourselves to try to make ourselves feel better than as opposed to actually dealing with what's going on. Right. And a lot of times this manifests in anger, in frustration, Mm -hmm. because you feel a false sense of control when you're angry. If we see someone who's out of control angry, we go, oh gosh, they're not in control. But when you're in that space, you actually do feel like you're doing something. You have some forward momentum. You're getting this frustration out. And so sometimes people are very attracted to that. I had a client once who would come in and be like, I love being angry. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I've got my work cut out for me, is what Courtney said from there. But really, it came from a place of wanting to control Mm -hmm. things and felt better that they were being empowered is what they felt like. But I think when I deal with people with anger, we always go to what's underneath that. What's the hurt? What's the disappointment? What's the fear? Because usually that's what's going on underneath the anger. So if you can work on that, sometimes, like you said, you can find that place of what are you fearful of? Maybe it's the thing of not being able to control something. And off of Courtney's example, so much for my client privilege. <laughs> my, I should say my therapist client privilege. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. I do have a lot of anger, though. I have had to work through that. Although, as I've said, and it's interesting because I went in sad. Mm. I came out of therapy angry. Right. But sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. What I have to do is try to keep the anger under control. As my therapist said to me at the time, why are you always beating yourself up? Mm -hmm. You should be upset with other people who are mistreating you. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to channel that into anger, but you don't want it to become a runaway freight train. You were like, oh, ding, 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 ding. It's just a means of not blaming yourself for everything. So it's about the balance. So what she was saying was, Mm -hmm. you're all about this one way of looking at it. How about there's some other ways? And she was also trying to validate that you do have this anger and it's okay to have this frustration and anger. But again, like you said, once you were able to kind of go there and feel that, then it's about balancing that. And when you do feel it to say, okay, what is this informing me of when I feel angry? What is it that I'm upset with? Maybe I feel like things aren't fair. It's not going the way that I want it to go. People aren't cooperating, that I've been hurt in the past. So it's identifying again, what is underneath it so that you can work on that. It's not just for anger's sake, but it's to try to shift and to see that there's more than one perspective. When we get stuck in one perspective, that's what happens. When people come in and they're only angry, then we try to help them work on what's the sadness underneath. If they're really sad, we're trying to help them to work on other emotions so they have a fuller range and they can understand where all of this is coming from. Now, to further speak to some of this, the purpose of this podcast is to take an issue 
and give the perspective of the patient, me, and the therapist, you. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to anger and when it comes to the pandemic, you and I recently had a discussion about somebody who was so worked up about it that to some degree, it almost presses your buttons. And you have to be afraid, even as a therapist, what you basically have to do is you have to manage that yourself to keep yourself from becoming triggered. This is something that a lot of patients may not ever consider. As we always say, you are not a droid. Exactly. And if somebody is saying something that you don't agree with and they're getting very, very worked up about it, naturally, you're going to start getting worked up about Mm -hmm. it if you don't try to take steps to do something about that. And that's where you do have to have a lot of self-management. You have to kind of bring yourself back to, okay, let me just get to that neutral position again. Sometimes you just acknowledge it in therapy. Sometimes you can say, you know what, we come at this from different perspectives. Let me hear more about your perspective and let's find a middle ground where we can at least agree to disagree, but do it in a respectful way. And I think that is something that we need more of in society. But there are times where we have to agree not to talk about certain things. And it's difficult because I've said this before with the pandemic, I've been through stuff that some of my clients have been through or they've been through different things and they bring that into therapy. But this is a unique situation where we're all going through this really major thing together and we all have different perspectives on it and how it's affecting us. So sometimes I have found that there are times when I start to feel like, oh, we're talking about the pandemic again. Because maybe that day I'm feeling overwhelmed. I saw a news story and I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, or friends were sick or something in my life was going on. And in therapy, sometimes things will come up. And like you said, having different viewpoints on what's going on, I have to really take care to self-manage. And outside of that, go to my peers or my supervisor for that supervision to get that place where I can process. For you having to sit there all day talking about the pandemic with client after client after client, Mm -hmm. it's probably like Lou Bega who says, I don't want to play Marvel number anymore. But you got to go with the hits, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're playing it. Yeah. And it's true. And I do try to just give each individual person that space. But you're right. I mean, I have pandemic fatigue at the end of the day. At the end of the week, I'm just like, I don't want to talk about COVID Harry, I'm bringing it up on the podcast. Oh, you're not done. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, too. You talked about using anger to try to control things that maybe you can't control. When you have that patient or client who comes in and starts getting angry in mm-hmm. that way, do you get a sense sometimes that they are trying to control you or take control of the session itself? Sometimes they are. Yeah. There have been people who, especially if they're resentful for being there in the first place, and they're just like, look, this is their inner dialogue, which they're not saying, but I feel it. Like, this is the way I want it to go, and this is how it's going to go, type of thing. So sometimes you have to be very careful not to get into like this power struggle going on, mm-hmm. you know? And I just give them the space, and I say, hey, one of the times, and I think I've talked about this before, I had a client who came in, very upset and angry, stood against the wall, put their arms up, and just stared at me. And I started to feel like, oh, this anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for me to control it. And I was like, okay, what are my options here? Now, another therapist might have chosen differently, but I was thinking, I don't want to pretend this is not happening or try to override him and say, sit down, what are you doing? That kind of thing. So I just was like, hey, guess what? This is so weird. And I told him about my experience. I said, I feel really 
anxious right now. I said, I'm having this weird, like, kind of panicky reaction because he was just staring there. Standing you said there to him, at me. that poop you are smelling is coming for me because of what you're doing right, <laughs> right. now. And it was weird. Like, all of a sudden, we connected. And I think that even though he was in an angry place, he was probably also in an anxiety place. Mm-hmm. And so he related because I just, like, threw it out there in a very non judgmental way, in a very just like, oh my gosh, it's weird because my voice and my breathing, I was pointing out what was happening to me physically and how I was having this weird reaction because he wasn't sitting down. And I was kind of like, isn't that weird? Not trying to accuse him of anything. He started to slump down and sat down. And it was very interesting. I said, that is so powerful sometimes to just be totally honest and raw, even though I was so uncomfortable, Brian, let me tell you, I was so uncomfortable. I was sweating. But sometimes that's the way you have to disarm the situation and just be real. You're almost like a hostage negotiator in that situation where you're trying to find a way to disarm that person. You don't want to kick the hornet's nest. You want to find a way to relate to that person. Yeah. Also, the person, we got along after that. This was one of the beginning sessions, and I didn't know him very well. And we ended up getting along, and everything went well. But I had a lot of empathy for him. He had a lot of issues going on and a lot of defensiveness. And a lot of times people come in, and they already have that chip on their shoulder because they haven't been treated well in certain situations. They've been through a lot of trauma. So I always have that empathy, but I can't control my body reactions because when you, <laughs> not that, Brian, oh my gosh, we're going there. No, you can't I, I'd be pooping myself. <laughs> that physical thing that happens because that's what happens when you feel a threat, when you feel nervous or scared. And so I was able to override that in the way of talking through it and not let that be the thing that controls it. But it is, it's difficult sometimes. So you have to control yourself and disarm the other yes. person. There's a lot going and on. That's and that's why I chose to be honest, because I couldn't act that well to be like, It's know. the whole point of this podcast, yeah. because as I said, as a patient, these are all things that I'm not considering because I'm sitting in that chair and I'm all about me in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even thinking about what my behavior is doing to you. Right. And sometimes people are there because that's how they also behave mm-hmm. in life. You and I have been talking about instances in which we have known people who have said, I'm going to take in this depressed relative. And then I try to say, well, maybe that's not a good idea because I know what that person is going to do to you. And it's going to be bad for all of you Mm -hmm. in terms of something like that happening. And that person who is the depressed person doesn't even realize how much he or she is sucking the life out of other people because they're so wrapped up in their own stuff. And part of therapy is to also unwrap that package. Exactly. That's another thing that I hold a space for with clients that you have to be very careful with that. But talking about what's the effect, do you think? of your chronic depression or the bipolar or whatever it is that they're dealing with, how other people are affected by that. And also with the anger too, I have clients who come in and they're very angry and they want to be very vocal and yell about things that are upsetting them. And I tell them, listen, this is a safe space for you. I'm a therapist. I will hold this space for you. But please know, when you go out into the community, it's not the same deal. They will not hold the same space for you. There will be judgment and there may be consequences to you blowing up and having all this anger. So let's work on this here. And I try to help to give them the coping tools to be able to figure out how not to escalate out there in the community. So it's that kind of thing where I validate it, I hold the space, 
and help them process, but also to let them know, like you said, what the effect is on others and how they can better handle getting what they want. Because what happens is a lot of people get dismissed, right? They're hurting, they're upset, they're angry, but they don't know how to express themselves in a different way when they go out in the community and they say something. People will look at them and say, oh, see, they're just getting upset and they will minimize what the issue is because the person is acting out. And that's not fair either. And to circle back to what I said about focusing on the external, where you're saying things like, if only this would happen, I'll be Mm -hmm. happy. Also, in terms of focusing on the external versus the internal, a lot of times people who are angry are looking for other people to blame. You and I Mm. were having this discussion earlier today. Well, it's not my fault. It's this person's fault because this person is behaving that way. Mm -hmm. And for as much as you are focusing on that and you can't control that, that's when you're only going to get worse. What you can control is how you process that. And that's what has to go on in therapy. There's a lot of stuff we can't control but we can control our attitude about it. We can control not the thing that happens necessarily, but the way that we hold it, what we're going to do about it, our reactions. I talk to clients a lot about going to wise mind, which is that place where you acknowledge your emotions, but you're also in that rational state too, where you can say, okay, what are my options here for reacting and what's the consequence to each thing? So it helps to give you some more control on that, but you're right. There's so many times with people that you can't control what they're doing, but it's to give yourself that pause and some time to think about how you want to react rather than just going into that reaction mode. And then later on, you're like, oh, why did I do that? Give yourself the time, because I always say this, 99% of the time, it's not an emergency. We feel triggered, so we think it's an emergency, and we think we have to shut that person down in the moment, but it's not an emergency. We need to put the pause, take a breath, think about it. What are my options here, and where will it bring me? Now, here's the tricky thing, because the whole purpose of this podcast is to get people who are reluctant to go into therapy, mm-hmm. into therapy. Now, if I am someone, let's just say I'm me 20 years ago. Yeah. I am someone who I'm heartbroken. There is a girl that I love. She doesn't love me. I want to go into therapy, but my motivation is I want the therapist to fix this relationship yes. so I can put it back <laughs> together. But we're here telling that person, no, 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 that's mm-hmm. not what we're going to do. We're going to focus on you. Mm. For that person who may say, well, I don't want to focus on that and that's not what I want to hear. If he or she does walk into that room, what's the first thing that you're going to try to do, either to put them at ease Mm -hmm. or to maybe try to redirect them to the right path? Well, I think giving them that space to validate what they're feeling and to really empathize with them and be like, wow, that's really difficult. And if you feel like you have no control over it, but yet you're only going to be happy if A, B, and C happen, then my gosh, that puts you in a really tough position. So trying to reflect back to them, I guess the first step would just be to get them comfortable with the process. You don't want to come in there with with guns blaring and be like, well, you know what? <laughs> it's not about me fixing it. Da, da, da. No, you want to establish the rapport. You want to educate them. So along the way, you're going to teach them about how your thoughts can change the way that you feel and change your behaviors and how you can have more control over that, how we have automatic thinking, but we can also choose how we react to that automatic thinking and we can produce new thoughts. That's what we do have control over. So widening their view on things, but it really comes from first and foremost, they have to trust the space and have a good rapport with you or else they're not going to listen. Now, further on down the road, I'll say to clients, well, you're the fanny that's in my chair right now. 
you're the one that I need to work with, not the other person. I can't fix them. I'm helping you to be able to change things for you. To and which they they'd that. say, well, what can you do to make that person love me more? <laughs> what do I have to do, Doc? <laughs> but see, it's a process. And by mm-hmm. that point, they may chuckle, they understand, they know where we're going with this, and they may not love it, but they accept it more that this is the reality that they have to control what they can. Well, here's the good news for that prospective patient or client. Not only are you educated mm-hmm. to manage situations like this, I imagine you've been through a broken heart yourself mm-hmm. at some point in your life, and you had to learn how to deal with it. And that life experience, I'm sure, can be just as valuable as the education, if not more. Of course. That's something we don't share our personal stuff, but we have that in the back of our minds as something that we can draw from. So we can speak in a way that they understand that we get it. Oh, yeah, when you feel that way, it's just like your heart is torn out. You feel like it's the end of your dreams. I talk a lot to people about how they have to grieve certain expectations. It's a grieving process when you have to let something go that Mm -hmm. you can't control and you have to grieve what you thought was going to happen, the dream of what you thought was going to happen. And that's very real. So I think that's also very validating for people, too. This almost speaks to a topic that you and I had just earlier this week on our radio show. Over the weekend, I watched Don't Look Up on Netflix, Mm. and you had seen it before I did, and you said, I don't like the way that it ends, (laughs) which to me, it made me realize how it was going to end. And that's in a way, without giving too much away, it wasn't the classic Hollywood Mm -hmm. happy ending. And I'm such a proponent of that when it's well done, because unfortunately, Hollywood creates expectations with these romantic movies Mm -hmm. that everything is a fairy tale, and if you stick to it, if you're meant to be together, you're going to be together. Yes. And that starts giving people false hope. Mm-hmm. When in reality, every once in a while, you need a don't look up. Yeah. <laughs> you need things to end kind of crappy because that's how it's going to go more often than not in life. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, well, what now? Yeah. What do you do with that? And also, it makes you think, right, Brian? If mm-hmm. you have it tied up in a nice little bow at the end, you're just like, ah, oh, and then you just move on. Now, that can be great. Some days we just need total escapism. And we just want it to wrap up in a bow. That's why people love Hallmark movies and the Lifetime Christmas movies. Right. However, sometimes... Not I, not by the you. way. <laughs> <laughs> you can't relate to this. But sometimes it needs to be messy and it needs to be something that we critically think about and that it sticks with us in a way that makes us say, well, how do I look at things a little bit differently? How can I add different perspectives and get a deeper understanding of something and more insight? And that is very helpful. So even though I didn't <laughs> love the ending, it did stick with me. And I had to think about it. And it was very real to where they were at. Seinfeld, perhaps the most successful sitcom of all time. And a lot of people may not know why, but it also may come down to two rules that Larry David laid out heading into the show, which he said at the end of every episode, nobody's going to learn anything, no lessons learned, Mm -hmm. and no hugs. (laughs) And that's life in a lot of ways. Right, right. Where sometimes you just have to fall on your face and Mm -hmm. then figure it out from there. Exactly. And that kind of describes getting into mental health sometimes, I was nervous to get into mental health. I wasn't sure that this is where I wanted to go, and I started taking classes. And I have to say, I had to really learn to be okay with some of the things that were not okay with me. And by that, I mean, one of the classes I took, we did a lot of talking around clients when they're in a really bad way and very depressed, and they're having suicidal ideation. And I remember in one of the classes, I was so against even talking about it that my body would react, much like with the client that day. I would get, 
all freaked out. And I remember saying to the therapist who was the teacher, I can't work with clients who have any kind of suicidal ideation. I feel like I'm too responsible. I would want to fix them. I couldn't tolerate that. Do you see the irony here? Mm -hmm. It's all about you wanting to control the situation. Exactly. (laughs) Early in my career and when I just started out as a case manager, it was so interesting because I really did. I had tears in my eyes and she said, listen, it's really difficult to hold a space for people who are feeling that way. However, it is so important to do so and to validate and to normalize the fact that we all go through really rough times sometimes and sometimes we feel so overwhelmed that we don't know what to do and sometimes we have those thoughts. She said, it will be easier for you to help people in that space and it started to creep in and that was one of those things. I wanted to control it. I wanted to control who I saw as clients. I wanted to control where they were at with things and it was so difficult and the irony, which I don't know, I ended up working at a clinic where most of my clients had very serious mental health issues and a lot of them had chronic suicide ideation. So I had to work with this pretty much every day that I was dealing with people who had these serious, serious issues. And I was able to give them the space and it was very rewarding to help them to come out of that place. But it was so scary. And I have to say that was one of my biggest experiences with that control and wanting to control it, but finally having to have acceptance over things in life being really difficult and having to hold a space for that. Let's close with me making you more uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we close, I just want to throw out some things that we can focus on that we can change. So like I talked about our attitude, going to wise mind, that we can kind of see the bigger picture on things. We can control that. Choosing new thoughts, we can control that. Having radical acceptance, we don't like to have to accept some things. Radical acceptance doesn't mean you have to love it or even like it, but knowing that certain things in your life, you're not giving up or not trying other things, but you accept certain circumstances so that you can actually work with it and move through. So that's another thing in therapy that we help people with. And also, you can control how hard you work on things, your actions, and your effort. It's really important. And also your focus, the things that get your attention, because what we focus on grows in our life. So we do have control over that, refocusing on things and giving our attention to things, especially like if you want to see things in a better light in the world. Focus on the things that are more positive and that bring you that joy. Okay, I want to focus on your discomfort. So back to where we were. (laughs) You love discomfort. You are like the king of awkward. You love awkward. Every time, and that's the other thing too. I have a hard time with that. It's ironic because in therapy, if people are crying and they're messy and they're angry, I'm cool with that. But like the awkward embarrassment things, I want to just gloss over it and move on because I don't want people to be embarrassed. You, you pointed out, you put a light on it and you're like... It's my favorite kind of comedy. (laughs) You love it. It's what Ricky Gervais would do in The Office. It's what Larry David does on Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I'm not doing it for yucks here. (laughs) I can tell you that I relate to the story you were telling about when you were getting into the whole therapy thing, you had Mm -hmm. such a fear about how am I going to handle a suicidal person Mm -hmm. being in front of me. My first wife, when we were dating, we were at an age where we were trying to decide what we were going to do with the rest of our lives. And Mm -hmm. she was, as am I, an enormous animal lover. And she was seriously considering pursuing becoming a veterinarian. Mm. And I, of course, Debbie Downer over here said to her, okay, that's great. I understand. (laughs) But how are you going to feel about going into an office where you were probably 
probably putting somebody's pet down every day. Oh. A beautiful animal, seeing that family crying. And that actually scared her straight into being like, oh God, I'm only mm-hmm. thinking about all of the great things that might happen and all the good things that I'll accomplish by healing animals. But some people you just can't help. So to come full circle on that, Courtney, as a therapist, and we always try to do a deep dive on what it's like for both sides, mm-hmm. when you encounter that person that you're trying and trying and trying to help, and unfortunately it doesn't end well, what does that do to you emotionally, mm-hmm. and how do you work around something like that? Well, you mean like if they're coming in for help and then they ultimately don't want the help? and they Well, end no, up that they don't make it. You and I were mm-hmm. just discussing the other day, you had a patient, you said this lovely person who ended up overdosing. Oh, yeah. And then to some degree, you're probably like, well, did I fail this person in some way? That's what my go-to would right. be. Do you start to beat yourself up? Mm-hmm. How do you work through that? Well, I have been fortunate that I've never lost anyone through suicide, but there have been people who have had drug overdoses, and that is just, it's an awful thing, and it does, it sticks with you. And I think about them, they'll just pop into my head randomly, but it is a very difficult thing. Like I said, we go to our supervisors, we go to our peers to talk about it, but at first, yeah, initially, you do have that, like, oh my gosh, what could I have done? Could I have done more? A lot of the people, they were in the throes of their addiction, they were back and forth with having relapses and that kind of thing, so it was really scary. And especially right now, I was just talking to a client about this yesterday, with fentanyl on the rise, it's like Russian roulette out there. You don't even know what you're getting. It's so scary. People are not getting second chances. They may slip and they overdose, and it's just an awful thing. So it does. It impacts all of us, and it impacts the sober community as well. They go to these meetings, they support other people, and then they find out a lot of their closest people, they're losing them to overdose. It's very tragic. So I think the lesson here for people who are prospective clients or even current clients is to realize that there are two human beings Mm -hmm. in the room. Yeah. And not only are you doing this for yourself, but you're two people who are working together. Yeah. And try to take advantage of that teamwork and try not to, A, not only not let yourself down, try not to let your teammate down as well. Use that as a motivator. Exactly. And I think as we go, a lot of times, even my most resistant clients coming in, when you have that trusting rapport, they start to believe in themselves again. And they start to believe in the fact that you really do want to help them. That's the beautiful thing about the work that I do, that you can make such an impact. And definitely, we make so many more positive impacts than having some of that negative happening. But yeah, it is. It's a beautiful relationship. And I tell people, any mental health issues, struggling with substance abuse, any kind of struggles that you have. And even if you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I just have these issues with my family or I just have these issues with anxiety. You can get help through therapy no matter where you are in your life. There's always something that we can help you with. Well, I can only hope as radio and podcast mm-hmm. hosts, one day you and I will have a rapport as well. <laughs> We're getting there, Brian. We're working on it. Yeah, you know? yeah. We're on episode 84 here. It's a process. It's a process. Courtney, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do and that? And don't pressure me, Brian, okay? We'll You're making there. me very uncomfortable. Wellness at WCTK.com. You can email me. Also, I just want to point out, we've talked about so many different things today. Going to catcountry.com, the Wellness 411 page. We have lots of great resources, and we have the crisis lines up there. We have ways for you to get therapy right away, online therapy. There's so many cool things. And also, Psychology Today and different links up there, too. You can find us on social 
socials, Courtney dancing on TikTok. We're at Cat Country <laughs> Mornings yet, in a lot of places. Soon, I yeah, think. that's what it's I think. You want to talk about uncomfortable entertainment? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> well, we also have personal pages as well. Courtney with the C, Kelly E Y, or Courtney Kelly Bedard. I Brian Mulhern, Brian with an I, H E R N. And don't forget to listen to the podcast. Also, mm-hmm. give us a rating and some comments as well. Hopefully, it'll be good, but we can't control that. <laughs> and hopefully, you can get somebody to listen to it as well. Maybe yeah. somebody who's reticent to get into therapy, and you can make a difference there, although you don't have control over that either. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you can influence. That's right. <laughs> Send them the link. <laughs> what we do have control over will be episode 85. Yes. Will Woo! it happen or will it not? <laughs> Stay tuned to Coping on the Couch with Courtney and Brian, and thanks for listening. Thank you. I want to talk-